this is Ye Old Dragons Library, the storytelling podcast. Here in Season 3, we're featuring the steampunk series, Guardians of the Timestream. This is a chapter from the prequel story, Odessa Fremont. Ready for fun with fantastical fiction? Then let's begin. Chapter 2 Over the course of the next four nights, S. concentrated on searching Miss Van Hastings' filing drawers and finding every bit of correspondence between her and Endicott Lewis and MacDonald. She didn't quibble over her luck, though she did sigh over the woman's arrogant complacence when she found volumes of correspondence from the vile Mr. Walter Van Hastings. She made copies of all his letters to his sister, detailing the activities of the resurrectionists he led, the names of the newest recruits, and boasts about government targets they had crippled or robbed or destroyed outright. Even more loathsome were his boasts of romantic conquests of the daughters and maidservants in every household that made the mistake of welcoming him as a guest. S. made so many copies, she had to sneak into the school laboratory nearly every day to take more chemicals to create her copying paper. Daily, she said a prayer of thanks for her clever grandmother, who had taught her to mix the chemicals and the proper application of the process. The copying paper was dry, and the source paper to be copied was lightly sprayed with a second chemical combination, which created the equivalent of a photonegative on the destination paper when the two were pressed together. Several seconds after being separated, both papers were dry again. While there was no telltale smell during the process of copying, making the paper and creating the liquid for the spray was another story altogether. S. had more proof of the oblivious foolishness of the people around her when no one remarked on or even seemed to notice the slight odors of bitter and pungent chemicals that clung to her after each session in the school laboratory. S. set about making a nuisance of herself, importuning Miss Van Hastings and other on the staff twice a day, to investigate why she hadn't heard from her grandparents or her grandparents' lawyers yet. No one seemed to notice the change in her personality when she whined and sulked and stomped her feet. Playing the part became great fun and earned increased mockery of the faculty from her fellow students. Her greatest triumph, however, was discovering several long letters from Walter Van Hastings, instructing his sister on using the school grounds for the resurrectionist cause. S. used the afternoon quiet contemplation time to do a little exploring. While her fellow students found some privacy to sit in clusters and gossip, or indulge in sweets without an adult lecturing them on their complexion, she slipped outside and followed the instructions from the letters. It was ridiculously easy to find the tunnel entrance in the stable. Now S. understood why students were discouraged from entering the stable, even to visit their own saddle horses. The emphasis on true ladylike behavior had seemed so ridiculously excessive, but now it made sense. All the stable workers were resurrectionist sympathizers. She followed a tunnel a short distance from the stable to an opening in the riverbank, where the resurrectionists could land their rowboats on pebbly shore. Other branches of the tunnel led under various buildings on the school grounds. S. discovered that the walls in the large enclosed pavilion used for dances and other social activities pivoted out, revealing hidden storage rooms and large slates for drawing strategies for raids. 
She made a note to herself to return with a sketch pad and copy the drawings there for further evidence. One tunnel went under the building housing the Academy's steam engine, which powered various lifting and moving activities on the grounds. It all made sense now. The engine and all the chain drives, conveyor belts, and other appurtenances for lifting water to the upper floors, carrying away soiled linens, and running the lift cars in several of the buildings gave the Van Hastings a convenient excuse to have as few servants as possible. The fewer people around to see illegal activities, the more secure those activities would be. Just out of curiosity, she followed some of the pipes carrying steam to power household devices or some of the chains leading directly from the engine. No surprise at all, she found nearly half the power of the steam engine was diverted to mechanisms in the tunnels and hidden rooms, and for conveyor belts to move supplies, move panels to block tunnels, and pump water from the river to flood other tunnels. The Van Hastings and their friends clearly considered themselves invulnerable, very smug, thinking they operated unseen under the nose of the government. Not for much longer, as promised herself, as she studied the devices dependent on the steam engine. She had ideas to foul the entire mechanism, perhaps turn around various gears and reverse the controls on valves. It was amusing to think of the chagrin, then frustration, then terror of the resurrectionists when government agents swarmed down on them. Instead of doors closing and tunnels flooding to protect them, those doors would open wider, the tunnels would stay dry, and others would flood to block their escape. She refined her ideas as she scurried back down the tunnel toward the main body of the school. Earlier, she had discovered a side tunnel and steam-powered door that would let her out into the gardens. Just how often had the vile Mr. Van Hastings spied on the students while they laughed and frolicked and assumed privacy, even daring to go barefoot or hike up their skirts for games? She took that exit now. No one would scold her if they found her wandering the garden in solitude. Her spirits drooped as she considered all she needed to do to assist the Secret Service in apprehending this nest of resurrectionists. While the challenge excited her, and she found some amusement in inflicting frustration on the Van Hastings, her thoughts turned to the unfairness of having to deal with such things at fourteen years of age. S. planned quite a scolding for her grandparents when she found them. Ernest and Matilda Fremont, brilliant archaeologists, scholars, and inventors, should have had more sense than to put their only granddaughter into the hands of such obsequious, materialistic, shallow, deceptive people. No more time to waste on such grumblings and musings. She had a coup to plan, justice to implement, and her escape to orchestrate, before she made contact with her lawyers and the government. We've come to a break in the story. I'd like to take a moment to tell you about a book that you might be interested in reading. Are you looking for epic fantasy and adventure with a touch of romance? Visit the land of Reshore and the Faxanor family. With prophecy and political intrigue, warfare and magic swords, visions and daring adventures in foreign lands, their lives are tightly interwoven with the fate of their kingdom and their world. Titles include Heir of Faxenor, Lorien, Traitors, and Sword of Faxenor. There are seven Faxenor children, each with their own adventure and destiny, so more books are waiting to be written.
Learn more about the Faxenor family. Stories written by Michelle Levine. Published by Writers Exchange. mlevine.com and writers-exchange.com. And now, back to the story. The next day was outing day in town. Every other Wednesday, the students were taken to town to allow them to run errands, make purchases, and conveniently encounter the wealthy and influential locals. S. deliberately sat behind Miss Van Hastings in the long, covered wagon, with padded benches that accommodated all the students and teachers. She whined to her companions about how she had a good mind to send a telegram to her grandparents' lawyers while she was in town, demanding they come explain in person what delayed her grandparents' latest communication. She watched the headmistress's shoulders, how they bowed and then stiffened and straightened, and the way she clenched and unclenched her gloved hands. A few seconds before S. calculated the woman would turn around and forbid her to go anywhere near the telegram office, she laughed and declared that she had far too many errands to run while she was in town. Why would she want to spend time talking to stuffy, fussy, boring old lawyers? She declared she wouldn't waste another minute worrying about her grandparents. Their last few letters had become positively boring. Why, she wondered aloud, had she ever found the filthy, sweaty, exhausting activities of archaeology fascinating? She fluttered up to Miss Van Hastings soon after arriving in town and asked permission to indulge in a visit to the ice cream parlor and then order a new pair of dancing slippers in the shop across the street. The headmistress beamed at S so widely the girl feared the woman might hug her. I don't know what mischief you're up to now, Odessa, Fanny Wilcox whispered as the two of them linked arms and scampered across the street. A steam-powered cart whined past them, trailing a cloud of black smoke that most likely came from a faulty seal in the lubrication system. Whatever it is, you're brilliant! I had the dubious honor of being on the bench facing the nasty old harridan. She shuddered, her rosebud mouth flattening in distaste, in direct contradiction to the merriment sparkling in her eyes. They paused on the steps going up to the shop selling slippers and gloves, and she glanced around. She went as white as a sheet when you mentioned sending a telegram to your lawyers. Then you should have seen how beads of sweat broke out on her forehead when you waved it all off. I don't know what that woman is plotting now, but I wouldn't be surprised if she's found a way to sell us all into politically astute marriages without our parents' permission, and then charging them enormous finder's fees so she can retire and close the school. Maybe turn it into a bordello, S. offered and glanced over her shoulder. The prickling sensation in her shoulders had been correct. Miss Van Hastings stood there in the shade of the awning over the entrance of the tea room. According to the most recent letter from her brother, she was to meet three of his friends there to exchange information and money to aid in plotting the overthrow of the Union. S. plastered a wide, brainless smile on her face and raised her gloved hand to wave to the headmistress. They were too far away, but she didn't doubt the woman turned red, startled at being caught watching them. In a moment, Miss Van Hastings hurried indoors. That might be a better choice than marrying some of the pasty-faced, unimaginative, humorless automatons she's paraded past us lately, Fanny said. The two girls linked arms again and climbed the steps to the door of the shops. Be thankful you're only fourteen. I will be sixteen in three weeks, and sometimes I positively feel like a prisoner, counting the days until the gallows. 
She really couldn't force you to marry someone of whom your parents didn't approve, could she? S. supposed she should examine all the files regarding her fellow students to see what lies the headmistress told their parents to protect her friends. Oh, despite being so clever, you really are an innocent. The older girl patted her hand and stepped to the side once they entered the open doorway. She looked back the way they had come. A number of us have cottoned to her tricks and schemes. We have something of an underground movement and meet in the flower-arranging classroom every other Sunday night to compare notes. Then we send letters to our parents or other relatives who might be more prone to believe us. Since we can't get a single letter in or out of the school without the supervision of the teachers, Georgiana's older brother pays for a post office box that we share. We take turns sneaking letters into the mail when we're in town and checking the box for letters in response to our reports. One of the first things we realized, or rather, some of the girls who graduated before us realized, is that the odious woman reads our letters coming and going and flies into a rage of offended dignity if anyone dare confront her about it, as if it is not only her right but her duty to pry into what should be private conversations. Some of our parents have grown quite distrustful of Miss Van Hastings, especially as our letters contradict more and more of what she is telling them about our activities and predilections. I should very much like to be part of the fun, S. said. You shall. Some of us noticed she was aiming Senator Wilkerson's son at you at the last cotillion. I wouldn't put it past her to contrive a very long engagement. When it's announced in all the society papers, there's no way you can withdraw without a lot of fuss and embarrassment. That fop who couldn't put four words together without gulping? The one who smelled like he gargled macassar oil, not just bathed in it? S. shuddered, and it wasn't in the least for show. It's my turn to check the post office box, and you're coming with me. Fanny gestured at a side door that opened into the shop next door. The four shops in a row here were owned by siblings, with connecting doors. They made for convenient exits without being noticed by unwanted watchers across the street. A little office that arranged transportation by steamship, dirigible, train, and stagecoach occupied a room off the lobby of the post office. S. said a silent prayer of thanks that Fanny had elected to be her partner for today's excursion. She decided to be flattered that the older girl had chosen to include her in the secret conspiracy among the students. Now, how could she contrive to help her fellow students not only escape the nefarious schemes of their headmistress, but triumph in a public, embarrassing way once she had made her own escape? Her first inquiries in the travel office answered several questions but didn't provide the answers she wanted. Yes, she could take a ship to South America, either a sailing vessel or a steamship. She had quite enough money saved from her weekly allowance, carefully hidden from the academy's staff. The teaching staff made a practice of invading the students' pocketbooks, and when confronted with their thefts, claimed they were protecting the girls from carelessness with their funds. S. hadn't trusted the staff from the first day and contrived several hiding places, so didn't suffer the losses that infuriated her schoolmates. Between that and the bank account her grandparents had established for her, of which Miss Van Hastings had no knowledge, she had enough money to pay for passage on an airship all the way to South America. The amount she would need once she arrived was rather nebulous and required further investigation. Common sense said she would need money for supplies and guides and transportation. 
She would need a translator, unless she managed to make a quick study of Spanish on the voyage south. However, it didn't matter if she took an airship or a sailing vessel, because no matter how quickly or slowly she arrived, her grandparents' trail would be long gone cold. Once she reached the port facilities, she faced another long wait before heading into the interior. The courier dirigible would leave before she arrived, with a wait of two months between each trip out and back. She would be delayed long enough that anyone sent after her would have time to catch up with her. No matter how she made her escape, someone would come after her. Miss Van Hastings would continue trying to control every part of S's life. Or her vile brother would hunt her down, in retribution for whatever damage she managed to inflict on the Resurrectionists. While S would thoroughly enjoy the Van Hastings knowing she had engineered their downfall, that would be vainglorious, even suicidal. She needed to act as anonymously and undetected as possible. After all, she wouldn't even be 15 for three months. Endicott, Lewis, and MacDonald would send someone to fetch her home as soon as they learned the truth of her situation. That was the largest reason for acting before telling them what she had learned and what she planned. Their sense of responsibility for her was strong and honorable, not through contract, but because they were her grandparents' friends. Another strike against her plan to go south, the weather. When the ship reached South America, the rainy season would be starting. If she waited too long to avoid the bad weather there, no ocean-going vessel would be available, as the winter weather made the ocean difficult for navigation. Botheration, she said aloud, but not loudly enough to catch the attention of the clerk, fussing with his brochures and stamps and other paraphernalia behind the tall counter. She turned and marched out of the little office, before the man realized perhaps the young lady wandering his office might have wanted to purchase a ticket. Better to be as forgettable as possible at this point in her planning. What if someone remembered she had stood there, looking longingly at posters of South American voyages? After that disappointment, S. found very little amusement in joining the student's plot to circumvent Miss Van Hastings' machinations. She admired the cleverness of the older girls. Her estimation of their common sense and awareness rose quite a good deal after that afternoon. One thing she was sure of, as she climbed on board the long, sheltered wagon for the return trip to the academy, she needed to make her break for freedom and bring down the wrath of the United States government on the Van Hastings as soon as possible. Walter Van Hastings had revealed to his sister the beginning of a plot to assassinate President Lincoln, for the sixth time since the end of the war. There were rumors he was being pressured by his party to run for president for a fourth term. The resurrectionists considered him a symbol of everything that was wrong with the Union, and hated him for his ability to bring reconciliation to bitter feuds. As long as the benign, caring, no-nonsense man remained in office, the Union would rally against any attempt to splinter it and put the South in power. The resurrectionist leaders from ten states were meeting in the pavilion on the far side of the academy grounds in ten days. That would be the perfect time to bring the Secret Service down on the rebellious, oily heads. The resulting chaos would perfectly hide S's escape. Could she prime the steam engine in the cellar to explode? Start a fire? Sabotage the chains and gears and pumps? Flood tunnels that needed to stay open? Something else as a final calling card? Or would that be juvenile and ill-bred of her? No, she decided, 
as she sat next to Fanny, facing Miss Van Hastings and smiling serenely at her nemesis. No, indeed, it would not be ill-bred. She knew her grandparents would laugh at her cleverly detailed plan. They wouldn't consider a patriotic act ill-bred at all. Every third week, the Academy brought in a troupe of highly regarded actors, strictly chaperoned, of course, to teach the young ladies the effective use of cosmetics, the language of the fan, and the most modern dances. The next lesson occurred the day after S's trip to town. As their teachers took the first group of girls through the intricate steps of a new dance that was supposedly all the rage before the crowned heads of Europe, she worked out another phase of her plan. Common sense said she should flee to South America in search of her grandparents. They were the only family she had left in the world, after all. Only Miss Van Hastings and the family lawyers, at this time, knew that Ernest and Matilda Fremont were missing, presumed dead. S. would be expected to flee to join them when she ran away from the academy, if she didn't know their archaeological camp had been destroyed. Therefore, the common-sense step was avoid South America. S. would delay her trip until next spring, when the seas were more in her favor. Or better yet, perhaps she should hire someone to do the hunting for her and stay in the United States, disguised as a boy, hiding almost under the noses of those looking for her. It was a given she didn't dare go to Endicott, Lewis, and MacDonald once she was free of the Academy. They would believe her when she told them about the resurrectionist activities being carried out under the school grounds and Miss Van Hastings' duplicity, but they would also put her into another boarding school. If her grandparents wouldn't let her stay at the family home with the household staff looking after her, she wouldn't be able to convince the family lawyers to choose that option for her. If she couldn't join her grandparents in South America, S. intended to spend the next year or two in freedom. A brilliant idea came to her as she watched Miss Talbot, the head of the acting troupe, teach a group of older girls how to feign illness to avoid dancing with some clumsy or socially unacceptable swain. Miss Talbot, with a little paint, a little hair dye, could pass for S. She was an excellent mimic in terms of mannerisms, posture, the way she held her mouth or tipped her head. Even without makeup, she could make people doubt the evidence of their eyes. Now isn't that a clever, fun idea, Miss Talbot murmured, dropping into a thick drawl that nearly perfumed the air with honeysuckle when S. presented her proposal to her. Around them, the troupe was packing up their boxes of makeup, musical instruments, and the diagrams of foot positions that covered the floor. S. always volunteered to help clean up after lessons, just to talk with someone outside of the school. That helped her now, because no one would remark on her conversation with Miss Talbot. As the days ticked off until the hoped-for raid, if the Secret Service believed the letters and evidence she sent them, she grew even more aware of how necessary it was to do nothing memorable or out of the ordinary. "'Darling girl, you have every right to make a run for freedom.' None of us have any respect for that woman and her ideas of a proper education for young ladies, not in the new society being built on the wreckage of that idiotic war. However, we have to be practical, and there is far too much power in money. Miss Talbot fluttered her eyelashes, barely hiding the mischief sparkling in her fern-green eyes. S. mentally slapped her wrist for not remembering that detail. Her own eyes were hazel. Someone who got close enough would know Miss Talbot wasn't her, no matter how cleverly she disguised herself. 
However, the actress continued, I have been offered a wonderful touring opportunity in Europe. My career is my top priority while I can still act. Maybe later, when I'm reduced to motherly roles or even teaching, she slumped her shoulders and pressed the back of her hand against her forehead, earning a chuckle from S. However, I have a friend who is in dire need of a new role, shall we say, to evade an unpleasantly sticky problem. She has the right bone structure, the right height, even the eye color. Hmm, the hair will need help, but that is easily remedied. What kind of trouble is she in? S glanced over her shoulder to gauge the progress of the others clearing the room. The pavilion was quickly becoming an empty, echoing space again. She found great pleasure in contemplating this place filled with confusion and men shouting and cursing. Dare she hope for some accident, perhaps a malfunction of the steam engine, to cause the pavilion to burn down or perhaps even explode skyward? Three sweethearts in three cities, all believing she has promised to marry them. Honestly, Sarah is too clever for such a mistake. She isn't nearly enough of a success to marry a high-society fool and coast for the rest of her life on her fame, no matter how great the fortune he offers. No, they're all three dunderheads who hear what they want to hear. She needs to either change her name and appearance and start her career all over again, her smile turned almost feline, or flee the country, entirely, with no discernible trail for them to follow. What she lacks is funds. I was considering offering her a temporary assignment as my assistant, or even my understudy, but your little proposition is too delicious. Shall I contact her? We're already at the end of today's chapter. I hope you enjoyed yourself, and you're eagerly looking forward to the next episode of Ye Old Dragon's Library. <laughs>